This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you. Your chance to hear from the experts, the insiders and in the industry. Get some great recipe ideas. And of course, share your questions as well as we talk all things food. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Getting you in the mood for the weekend, not just with foodie chat, but what you can find in your local spinny store over the next couple of days. And guiding us through is Sophie Cookett, Brand Sustainability Manager at Spinney's. As we talk about the rise of environmentally friendly and eco skincare products, plus some stuff for your home as well. Sophie, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. As you know, we always have this fantastic prize as part of Farmer's Kitchen. 500 dirhams to spend in your local spinney store and i'm just curious because i'm pretty much guarantee you're going to be in spinneys every single day what's caught your eye recently i think it would have to be a salt and stone deodorant i'm running low um so looking for something fresh to freshen the underarms well it's the weather i thought was changing <laughs> and it's playing tricks on me because this morning i was like it's not actually getting much cooler so deodorant i i appreciate your honesty <laughs> we're going to be talking about some of these brands because some of them are brand new to store and it's actually really interesting you mentioned salt and stone because i spotted it when i was as i'm sure people are sick of hearing i'm tackling kilimanjaro and uh we leave in eight days so i was like okay uh, hygiene is going to be at an all-time low. I'm going to get some good deodorant. But because you, you, we get into this pattern of buying the same products time and time again, and with something like deodorant, I feel like there's a bit of a, a trust issue when it comes to trying something new because if it doesn't work, it ain't pretty. I'd love you to explain a little bit about this brand and why you've chosen to bring it into store. I mean, Salt and Stone is one of those deodorant brands that you can feel really good about buying because I know one of the things that along with the brand actually working, the product actually working, keeping you fresh, is people are worrying about the nasties and the chemicals in these products now. And, and also the fact that we get through them relatively quickly means we're throwing lots of packaging in the bin. So one of the great things about Salt and Stone is it's made with all natural ingredients which are proven to work. It's actually been developed by an athlete, an ex-professional athlete, and has a huge following of athletes from, from the founders community. So we know it actually works on people who really sweat hard. Um, but it's made with all organic, cruelty-free ingredients. It's free from petrochemicals and nasties and the sorts of things that work their way into our, into our bloodstream. And, um, you know, for that reason, it's a brilliant brand you can trust to actually look after your health, the, your body on the surface, but also inside. And... Um, Does, is it made work? From Does, all, it work? Yeah. Does it work? Does it work? Does it work? Yeah. Well, let me let you know next time. I will be getting it once I've um, gone down to the store later today. But yes, I mean, it's it's been, you know, approved by athletes themselves. So we think it's a fantastic product. Now, this is one of the new additions. And I'm, I'm just curious um, about kind of Spinney's vision in general when it comes to environmentally friendly products. Um, is there a vision of, of sorts that you're working towards? Absolutely, there is. Um, We have a three-pillared vision. Um, The three pillars focus on our sourcing for the future, so producing products and farming them in a sustainable, ethical way, um, leaving a minimal footprint as possible in the products that that we source um, and and how, you know, we select our suppliers. But it's also about really addressing the waste crisis we've got when it comes to fast-moving consumable goods. So we absolutely have um, commitments and promises to reduce the amount of disposable products that we offer, both for Spinney's own label, but also for the brands that we sell. So brands like Salt and Stone are fabulous for us because they've actually brought in all ocean plastic into their um, their packaging for the deodorants. It's not made from any virgin plastic. It's all been sourced from the ocean, being pulled out and turned into a product that can sit on the shelf and be recycled again. So that's the kind of brand that we're really excited to bring to the marketplace and makes people feel good about what they're buying. Not only is it a fabulous product, but it makes you makes you feel really good. You don't have to worry about throwing it in the bin um, because it's already done some good by being on the shelf. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are getting you in the mood for the weekend. Lots of foodie chat coming your way between now and five o'clock. But we're turning our attentions now to a different kind of shelf in Spinney's as we look at eco and body-friendly beauty and wellness. Sophie Corkett joining us, Brand Sustainability Manager at Spinney's. We've done deodorants. How about period care products? Don't turn off the radio, men. Your wife could be sending you out to buy them. Sophie shared a new brand they're carrying called And Sisters. 
what they are is a, they're a mother and daughter team, which is a lovely story anyways. It's mother and daughter who actually themselves experienced the difficulties of not having access to good feminine care products when they were traveling at some stage in their life and they experienced how it held them back. They're very aware of um, the issues inherent in the category. Lots of the products are disposable, of course, um, and they, part of the, of the issue is that they need to be, but also they're actually full of plastics. Lots of them also contain chemicals. So they've created disposable products which are completely sustainable. They're made from organic cotton, completely safe for those delicate parts of the body and actually not so bad on the environment when they're disposed of. But they've even gone further in um, offering period cups, which are the option if you want to go disposable free completely and are a revolutionary product. I have to say I did make the switch um, based on some friends telling me how much better they were as a product. And they are amazing. They change your life. So um, it's an exclusive at Spinney's, this this brilliant company who puts 10% of their profits back into charities to address the issues of girls not being able to go to school all over the world because they don't have access to period care. Um, so they're, they're, again, a feel-good brand and revolutionary products which can change, really change your life. Um, I, I recommend the switch. Thank you for that. And I think it's really important to address the fact that, you know, period poverty isn't just in third world countries. It exists in uh, in countries we might not even uh, even suspect. So the more we can talk about it and hopefully help those in need, the better. So great that they are providing some of those profits. In- incredible. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about sustainability in general like uh refill packs for example refill stations is that something that you are currently considering or are there even any in store and i've missed them yes well there are brands already that we're working with who are working to bring refills in so that we're trying to find more ways that you can bring back but i mean the packaging is often beautiful isn't it i mean we offer some amazing local brands such as Monday, the hair care brand. It's a stunning pink bottle that's made of really solid plastic and just doesn't need to be thrown away. So we are exploring with the local brands and with the global brands what their best practices are around the world when it comes to refills. And we're trying very hard to find ways to bring that to the shopping experience. Um, there's a lot more exciting news to come on that front um, in the coming months. But yes, we are having active conversations with brands all over the world from the big players to the local ones to find out how we can, you know, as, as a whole society, just start to change our behavior and, and get used to refills and actually just, you know, keep these beautiful packaged mm-hmm. products already in our home for a bit longer rather than chucking them out. Because, you know, they go to huge lengths to design these these stunning packs and um, they're actually already some of them made for refill. It's just that we need to make it easier for our shoppers to do that and um, yes. very much part of our mission. I think that I think that is a, a really pertinent topic because any kind of obstacle and I say this as someone who is you know inherently lazy like like you know (laughs) me too path of least resistance (laughs) I think most people would agree with that um the easier that you know you guys can make it I'm I'm sure you know the more receptive we would be and we can't talk about uh sustainability without talking about shopping bags um what are you able to bust a few myths about plastic bags uh in store what some of the alternatives are right now um that people can be be picking up and and really doing their bit with yeah completely um we're we're always thinking about this topic it's always in our minds we talk about it every week without fail what we can do as a business um, there are some reasons why we have to keep the plastic bags in for the time being but you can reuse them you know please bring back your spinnies plastic bag to store um they are they are you know very very durable and permanent things and they can in themselves be reused just pop them in your handbag and when you get home once you've entered your shopping out just put it straight back in the handbag or the pocket of your jacket wherever you're you know you're next going out just have it there ready to hand we do offer some also brilliant permanent ones which are um, reusable fold downs um, and, and they're fab because you can put them again in the back of your your jeans put them in a, a little um, fanny pack you're wearing on the front they're very trendy at the moment um, and just just have it to hand um, but but we also have some some you know exciting things coming when it comes to plastic bags we are as I say thinking about it all the time I know people get very passionate about it um, so we listen to everyone who talks to us about it and um, 
yes, look out for more news on that coming in the next couple of months. Sophie, keep us posted because, as as you say, there's something everyone's super passionate about. Everyone wants to be seeing big players doing everything they can, and it's great to see you guys making strides not only with, you know, the offering you have, but the products that you're bringing to store. So thank you so so much for joining us today. And if we're going to buy one environmentally friendly or eco-friendly product from some of the stuff that you've been uh, researching and, and bringing on board what should it be this weekend oh golly well i would say just to build on that last point the spinny's reusable bag um, definitely get one of those next time you go in there are so many there are so many just check out our website and um see what takes your pick but we have we have a huge range and that's a growing focus for us so i think in terms of innovation product quality and experience and just getting better stuff on the shelves keep keep your eye out because there'll be more and more coming Thank you. Brilliant note to end it on. Sophie Corkett, Brand and Sustainability Manager at Spinney's, wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Getting you in the mood for the weekend, talking about where you should go, what you should eat, what you should be buying and offering up some ideas and inspiration too. And joining us live on the line is Sandy Hayek, the General Manager of the Time Out Market here in Dubai. And if you haven't been Trust me, go hungry because you are literally going to be spoiled for choice. Sandy, thank you so much for being with us. How are you? Hi, Helen. Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Can you tell me in food only, so naming a few dishes or even a place where you'd eat growing up, tell me, give me some clues just using food. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Sweden. In oh, Scandinavia. you can't tell me. And, You've just uh, got so what Swedish meatballs? <laughs> yeah, Swedish meatballs is one of it. <laughs> that that used to you know happen quite many times. But then um, I lived in Norway for a couple of years. So you have all the Scandinavian fish. You know, we used to get. We used to smoke our own fish, our own salmon, of course. Uh, we had reindeer, elk. Uh, you had a lot of game food. So that's what I'm used to, and that's what I actually miss. We don't oh. have much of that here. I mean, I'm saying people could send an emoji. If you could just send me like a, a reindeer emoji and you would have completely oh, baffled me, Sandy. <laughs> now, for anyone who hasn't been to the Time Out Market in Sukal Baha here in Dubai, how do you explain it as a concept? Because it's quite a difficult one to get your head around. But when you go, it suddenly all makes sense in the best possible way. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it definitely needs a couple of times before you really grasp it, because we're still talking about 17 kitchens and over 200 dishes um, and three bars. So it's a it's a big food paradise uh, located in the middle of downtown. And it's that place where you need to be very strategic and know what to eat That's because so the options true. are many and you get a little bit lost and you end up overeating very often. Yes. So, uh, so those that knows and those that visit it knows that uh, you need to have a strategy before you enter the market (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny because I remember writing an article about 10 years ago about brunch strategy and it was like don't fill up on bread ignore the pasta you want to go for your (laughs) high value items you want to go for your seafood your sushi and it's much the same as you say you've got to have a strategy to go into timeout because you've got the best of the UA food scene in one place and some offering small plates some offering main you know big meals and when I went with the family a couple of months, just after it opened, so maybe six, maybe a couple of months ago, it must have been now, my husband um, got his smoked brisket sandwich from Hatamata. The girls were having their pickle burgers. I was going to BB to get the Brussels sprouts, which I cannot go to your place without eating. <laughs> and I just love the fact that you've got this kind of pick and mix approach where everyone can get something that they are going to love. We're super, super privileged to to have this lineup of 17 different concepts. And just as you mentioned, you know, all of these dishes, we have the long tang Chinese, we have Vietnamese, uh, we have pit fire pizza, we have, as you mentioned, reef as well, the baos that cannot be missed. So yeah, there's plenty of options, plenty of choices. Um, And I understand there's going to be some new additions on the food front. Was there a new menu? How does it work? There is actually um, a breakfast uh, that is being added. So we're still, you know, we're, we're coming up to six months and we're still facing uh, the queues even when we open for lunch at 12 o'clock. So we realize that we have to probably extend that and open a bit earlier for those that fancy uh, a breakfast and wants to come in a bit uh, earlier before it gets really crazy busy. So uh, so we, we just launched the uh, breakfast last weekend. So we are we have over 25 dishes across all the kitchens uh, 
you know, we're serving everything from all the ideal breakfast dishes you see around in Dubai. We have shakshuka, uh, we have creme brulee pancakes, we have oh. uh, French toast, <laughs> salmon. <laughs> Who's making it's, creme brulee pancakes? Where do I go for those? Uh, these are these are absolute favorites from uh, from Nightjar uh, that are just delicious. And you you know, we we try to balance it out so you have a little bit lighter side balls from Little Earth. We have uh, uh, truffle eggs benedict we have uh, truffle sandos so it's a little bit of everything if you want to go for a prime uh, breakfast you could do that if you're going to want to go for something quick you could do that as well so it's a really really good addition that we've added to the market and and it's just our second weekend uh, this week that we're really looking forward to well congratulations what time are you opening tomorrow morning it's at 10 o'clock. We'll be ready at 10 o'clock. Uh, and, and we serve that menu until 1. So it crosses over between 12 and 1 where you can actually add additional lunch dishes if you want to do that. So it's that, uh, It's we call it breakfast, but some people would perhaps relate it to that early brunch, original brunch concept. Mm-hmm, the non-Dubai brunch. <laughs> that doesn't con- yeah. Exactly. That <laughs> doesn't continue the whole day. And then you can you still have the remaining day to spend it on the beach and, you know, you get a little bit of, of the best, but you can still do a lot throughout the day. So. Walk it off in the mall. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. I have to say, I'm loving how, where all the different places you are from. I'm asking you, and do not tell me the country, but using only food, and you can use emojis if you want, tell me where you grew up. Let's see if I can guess where you're from. There are lots of Filipinos, shout out Lupinos out there. We've got Adobo coming in, and Nell is saying that. Now, am I right in thinking Buko Pai is from the Philippines as well? I think I am. Uh, we've got Paul saying lobsters, crab, potatoes, a famous type, oysters and strawberries. Could that be like Massachusetts somewhere? I don't know. And Dax putting me the challenge, saying spicy vadapav, green chutney with sprinkles of gati masala. P.S. Helen, you need to get your pronouncement right. I don't think I did. Susan saying fish and chips, which makes you think England, unless it's fish and chops, in which case it's New Zealand. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking food this afternoon, Sandy Hack joining us. She's the general manager of Time Out Market Dubai. And you've got some fans out there, Sandy. Lots of people saying how much they love uh, <laughs> love your spot. Joe saying, we went to Time Out Market last weekend for the second time in two weeks. Absolutely love it. Especially trying out the best dishes from different restaurants in one sitting. And that is my... I just get massive food envy. And it's not too late. You just get up and you get another dish. Now, Expo is just days away a week tomorrow it's starting first of october and i'm embarrassed to say the kind of food aspect hadn't really occurred to me until they announced the lineup and we're looking at some big local brands and some celebrity chefs as well what's your pick of the food front there sandy in you i trust when it comes to making sure we're well fed and fueled as we walk around the expo site I think we're going to keep getting, uh, you know, new uh, reveals of what's coming up there. And it's getting more and more exciting, uh, especially based on the last announcement that was um, regarding the market hall that is showcasing the GCC chefs, which I think is a brilliant initiative. And it has a really strong lineup, uh, everything, you know, showcasing UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman. Uh, and they even have our star, Hatim Matar, uh, included in that lineup. So it's it's a great addition. No doubt that it will enhance you know Dubai's restaurant scene in general uh, and then it takes a lot to be called the the you know the next foodie destination I think because we we have a lot of options uh, across the city so um, but I think that we, we're seeing a mix of uh, local brands we're seeing a mix of uh, uh, imported brands as well celebrity chefs local chefs uh, and I think that it's just going to add to everything else that we that we have already which is great. I think what's a really nice opportunity is for people to be getting a taste there to encourage them to explore Dubai as a visitor and say, OK, I tried that. I want to go to the original Ravi's now or, you know, I've tried Hatham's Meat here. I want to go and check out Local Fire, you know, to, to really kind of excite people and make everyone understand internationally how much we as a city have to offer. Yeah. And obviously what Absolutely. you guys are doing is is really kind of integral to that. I've had a message here um, from Emily saying, how does it work with Time Out Market? Um, how long do the tenants stay in their spots? And that's a really interesting question because as you said, there's 17 kitchens. Um, but how are people on like a year contract? Can you uh, got option to expand? How, how does that work? If someone amazing opens, you desperately want to be part of the concept. Do you of have course. to wait? 
No, I mean it is it is on a yearly contract, and and as a as a time at market, what we do is express the best of the city, and the city changes, especially in Dubai, it moves really quickly. So at some point, it's not supposed to be static; it's supposed to introduce the new upcoming brands and upcoming concepts. So you'll definitely see a change. Uh, but we also are a platform to support the homegrown brands, so we want to make sure that everyone gets their chance, and and you know we promote them and we talk about our chefs and we make sure that we uh, we let them stand on on a stronger feet when they if they would to leave the market because mm-hmm. it's also it's an environment that is not for every concept and uh, and it's an environment that is supposed to add value to whoever is going to be a part of it but you'll definitely see a change because we need to keep up with the city's growth and that's what we do well doing it so so well um one final question i know this is going to be really hard but if we're <laughs> going to go to visit you over the weekend is there one dish you feel like would be oh, incomplete without trying? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I go through my phases and I think yeah, I've recently just passed the uh, bow. had too many of them. Um, I'm really uh, into the pizzas. So uh, the, the, pit, the pit fire, uh, because usually you always go for your safe card or that pizza that you usually choose. But I've been exploring their entire menu for the past couple of weeks. So I would <laughs> say job. that the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And um, and the pepperoni will always go back to that safe card. But, you know, everything from how that crust is made to the ingredients used on the pizza to the team over there. So mm-hmm. I would say that that's probably my, my yeah, and I wouldn't say favorite. but it's Current, current flavor. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned the team because, as, as I said, it's an, it's amazing to meet the people who are responsible for some of this food. And Bill and Michelle at Pitfire are just absolute local legends, often there in the kitchen welcoming people, asking questions. Absolutely. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to meet the people behind the menu. Sandy, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, I know Thursdays are busy, so get yourself back over there and make sure everyone's well-fed and happy. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Well, you're making me think well this afternoon. I'm asking you to get in touch and using only food, tell me where you grew up. For me, if I'm being cryptic, and if you know, you know, Greg sausage rolls. If I'm going to be a bit easier, then it's pretty obvious. I'm, you know, roast dinners. Some of you are really confusing me. Let's start with the ones that I do know. And I'm guessing sausages and sauerkraut, Germany. Jollibee, no name on this one. Philippines, Afia. Shawarma, Chips Oman, Lavan Up. You must have grown up in the UAE. Alfredo saying Cabrito. I have no idea what Cabrito is. Hillary, Fish Supper, Shortbread, Peace and Jam, Tablet, Scotland. Hillary, am I right? Let me know. Let me know why you grow up using only food. The Chef's Table. I do know where our next guest grew up. We're delighted to be joined live on Microsoft Teams by Chef Suki Nadaf, executive chef at the Kempinski Hotel Mall of the Emirates. And you are from Jordan. Chef, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. How are you, Chef Suki? Very well, thank you. Good afternoon, Helen. How are you? I'm very well. Now, I'm, I can, I'm loving everyone feeling nostalgic about the foods they grew up with. What did you grow up eating, Chef? What was on, served on your family table? I, uh, well, we as a, as, a, as a Levantine people or Middle Easterns, we always like sharing food and then we like to eat from the same plate or the same tray together. So that's how we grew up eating. And then sharing food, one pot to be put in, in the middle and then the mum flips it as an upside down or whatever dish it is. And then we all share into our plates and then eat from the same tray. That's how we grew up eating. Oh, so who was cooking for you growing up? Who was the one that inspired you to work in food well the, the, there is two parts of this question let me answer them on the side the one who cooked the best was my mom for sure <laughs> and there is no one could cook better than her but then the one inspires me was my uncle because he was a chef wow. and then i saw him cooking at our house for the first time and he was the one who inspired me when he showed me the presentation of the food mm-hmm. and i still remember the dish he cooked that day for us what was it it was spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really interesting point, though, because we think about the food that our, you know, our parents or our grandparents make for us, the, the, the day-to-day breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I feel like 
going out to a restaurant or having you know food served at a different level sometimes it it's a real eye-opening experience that you realize food isn't just always for fuel or sustenance food can be for celebration or an expression or you know for you know, communication as, as as well. And I think that's that's beautiful that that came from within your family. And, you know, you have... Absolutely. I'm, I'm so curious about how you've kind of taken some of those dishes that you grew and then now you are, as I said, exec chef at the Kempinski Mall of the Emirates. So this means you launch and create the menus across four restaurants. So Olia, Aspen, Solero and, and Noir as well. You worked all over the world what do you feel like the food scene in Dubai is like, Chef, and what are you bringing to it? Well, the, um, let me tell you a small story about the uh, the food and that spaghetti bolognese. It's an interesting story and it's fun. So you, I, I would just entertain people while listening to it. On that day, my uncle did the spaghetti bolognese. So he boiled the spaghetti and then he puts it in the dish like a nest. And on that day, he put a ball in the middle and then he put the bolognese in the, in the center. So it didn't touch the spaghetti. So it was like kind of fun that we pull the spaghetti with a tongue and then we take from the bolognese sauce, put it on top and put some cheese on top. And I found that very much kind of a fun. And it did tracks me. And since that day, I kept following him to see how does he cook so he can teach me. And since that day, I realized my passion towards cooking. So it's interesting to say. And tell us a little bit about what it's like to be giving the task to someone, for you know, a hotel group to say, we're going to open a restaurant and you are the one responsible for creating the menu, bringing customers in, feeding them, making sure that they leave well fed and happy. Where do you even begin when it comes to creating a menu? I can't even begin to imagine, to be honest. Well, it's a fantastic question what you asked, Helen. The, when, you, when you design a menu or when you design a restaurant, first you need to put a concept together. When you put a concept, is based on a study of the market mm-hmm. and study on the area where you live. So first of all, you need to study the, the area, the market, and then decide what is the concept of your cuisine. Is it going to be Arabic, Chinese, Asian, European, American, Mexican, what kind of a cuisine that this area requires, that's point number one. Point number two, which is very important, you need to have a target clientele. Who whom are you targeting? Which age of people? Is it families? Is it uh, teenagers? Is it um, groups? Is it singles? So this is these questions has to be answered before moving into creating the menu and selecting the dishes. Once that are answered, the rest will follow. And I think that's that's such an interesting point because so many restaurants or cafes set out and fail because they haven't done that primly work. It's people who go, I love eating, so I'm going to open a restaurant without recognising, you know, what's you know, what's within a square, you know, kilometre? Are there five other burger places? What's going to make yours special? Are there enough people to sustain that number of, uh, you know, that, that same kind of idea or concept or cuisine? And it's a, it's a really interesting one right now when we think about the influx of people coming into Dubai, of course, Expo just around the corner and potential food trends that might emerge from people getting back into travel as well. Um, I'm sure you are one of the you you are like me and you like to travel for food when you when you plan a holiday oh, very much. <laughs> it's about what you're going to eat what have some of your favorite foodie holidays been chef can you can you take us away with you <laughs> Well, um, let me just again talk about what you have just mentioned about people when they do a study and when they decide about restaurants and what concepts of cuisine do they want. The people sometimes and majority of the times they put on the menus what they like, Mm -hmm. which is not wrong, but not necessarily being a successful measure. You need to know what people want. And on that sense, in our hotel, for example, majority of the guests come for breakfast, but then for lunch and dinner, they might end in any of the outlets and they might go and move around Dubai, which has an exciting restaurant as well. However, for the breakfast, which are the in-house and then people feel comfortable to come for breakfast in the hotel, I do take a list and go and walk around and talk to guests and ask them. And I said, this is what we have offered for breakfast. What are you missing and what would you like to see that we don't have? And then I collect these kinds of feedback and customers wish and then put it and add it into our menus and rotate it just to make sure that a successful business is 
providing what guest wants is not what you think is right because mm-hmm. what you like not necessarily everyone else likes so it's an important message that i wanted to say I think that's a really good point. If I was going to have my own breakfast cafe, it would basically be shakshuka and then a bowl of Frosties. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Tell me, using only food, where did you grow up? Steve simply saying Parmo. Um, I'm not sure this will make sense to 99.9% of the people listening, but because I am from just up the road near Newcastle, Parmo is like the dish of Middlesbrough and I would say it's a national treasure. Balm cake. So what part of the UK? Balm cakes, are they not like Lancashire way? Briny Vegemite, easy one. Australia, Wasima saying Biltong and Bry, South Africa. And we've had a lot of people growing up here, by my guessing, saying Shwama, Karak Chai, Chips Oman, Mountain Dew. <laughs> Halwa and Kaha Mahash, did you grow up in the UAE? Let me know. The Chef's Table. And our chef of that hour is Chef Sudki Nadaf, executive chef at the Kempinski Hotel, uh, really just around the corner from us, Mall of the Emirates. He is responsible for launching curating menus across their four outlets, born and raised in Jordan. It was there that he discovered his passion for cooking. So, Chef, I put a tricky question and I gave you a couple of minutes to think about it, but... I don't, want to, I don't want to make this dark. I'm not saying your last meal on earth, but what I'm saying is if I was to send you off to a desert island where the food is going to be rubbish, but the night before you go, you can have the meal of your dreams. Start a main dessert. You could have three courses of dessert for all I care. I just want to make sure you have a meal to remember. What would be on that menu? Oof, very good question. A very tricky question. Then, uh, believe me, I did not thought of the answer. But then, let me say, I would eat what I like the most. And then, if I would just think a little bit on my memories, on what was the best food that I have had, once I had a chocolate foie gras with olive oil, oh. that that dish, I still taste that chocolate foie gras under my tongue, and it's so yummy. So I would definitely have that um, course for an appetizer. For main dish, I'm a carnivore and I like very much meats. And I'm going to have the A plus Wagyu beef tenderloin. And I would have it with butter um, braised potatoes oh, and with some shaved truffles. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> and then do you have a sweet tooth, chef? What would you have for dessert? Oh, very much, very much. I do have a sweet tooth. And on this course since i'm gonna i'm gonna have these items i would love to have a chocolate fondant to end with so i will spare enough calories for the following day <laughs> <laughs> to keep you strong enough to build a shelter and start doing some spear fishing um chef we'll run out of time but i'd love to ask if someone's going to be heading over to your neck of the woods kempinski hotel more the emirates and they can dine in olia aspen of course Solero noir what is the one dish that you feel like is you on a plate? If you eat it, you know exactly what Chef Sudki is all about. Something we cannot miss. Oh, my God. Yes, you have to come to anybody would like to come to Olea. Uh, have to try the makluba. The makluba mm-hmm. is it's an Arabic word for if you translate it in English is called upside down. It's the risotto of the Middle East or of the Levant region. It's the biryani of the Levant region. It's a chicken, vegetables, uh, spices and rice all cooked together until it gets well cooked and merged. And then a waiter will bring it to your table, will flip it upside down, will put some of the pine nuts and just enjoy the flavors of that vegetables, rice, chicken and spices is my favorite in the hotel. And it's not only mine, it's the customer's favorite. Oh, sounds absolutely sensational, Chef. Thank you so much for your time today. I know Thursdays are very, very busy for you, chefs. You've got a busy service ahead. So I'll let you get back to your team. Thank you for uh, for your time and your insights this afternoon. We'll see you at, uh, see you at the hotel very, very soon, I hope. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Getting you in the mood for the weekend and talking carbohydrates this afternoon, bread. I want to know from you, what is your native bread called? Naan, pretzel, pansal, I don't know what yours. For me, being from the northeast of England, this is a whole conversation because we have something called a stotty, right? If I say it in proper Geordie, it's a stotty. And that's something you would put... Um, that kind of meat in or like peas pudding or just like cheese and pickle 
You travel half an hour down the road, people call it a bap or a roll. So what is your native bread called? As we explore carbohydrates and bread here in the UAE, we have guiding us today Arvo Ahmed, the woman behind Frying Pan Adventures. Arvo, can you tell us, do you consider yourself to have a, a native bread? Well, I'm originally from India and we have so many different kinds of breads. It's actually really, really hard <laughs> to pick. But at home, yes, we actually do make one kind of bread every single day and it literally translates to wings. We call it par and it translates to wings because it's as angelically light. It's sort of sheer, just like the wings of an angel. And this is this like you'd have like a like pampuri kind of uh, carbohydrate or do you fill it with something? Do you scoop it? What's the texture like? It's Can you tell me? just used as you would use a naan or a paratha. It's a kind of a roti basically, but the technique of making it is a little bit more tricky than how you would just make a regular chapati because you actually have to roll two pieces of bread together at the same time because it has to be rolled so extra thin. And then once you take it off the heat, you have to separate it as the two breads are still steaming. So there's literally steam just gushing out into your hands. Tell me how to pronounce it. It's called par. Par. P-A-R. Par. Par, which just means wings. Oh, I love it. Okay, thank you. Um, and is this kind of distinct to your um your district your you know where you're from and again like me if you traveled an hour they would be eating something else absolutely this is really within our community uh so we are from a certain community in india specifically we're based in hyderabad but you'll find this bread even made in gujarat i believe and it's it's one of those things that is so thin and so sheer like tissue paper. You won't even know how many you've eaten oh. until you suddenly realize like, wait, where did all of them go? And mom always sort of folds them in these perfect triangles and just stacks them up and they're so delicious. Oh man, I'm hungry. Okay. <laughs> but but um, you've been in Dubai for a long time now, as as have I. And you know, you've really not only seen cafes, eateries, uh, you know, kiosks opening up, but also obviously honouring the ones that have been here for an awfully long time. If we're talking about Arabic bread, what are the, some of the, the highlights you've had on your food tours in the past? Well, the Arabs really are some of the masters of making bread. The one that is obviously the favourite is your just your regular hubs or pita, but especially when they make it fresh at the restaurant. Mm. And I will say that the Egyptians are particularly particularly masterful at making it because they, the, the way they sort of uh, make their dough is, is a little bit different. It feels a little more earthy and toasty and nutty. The outside, I believe they dust it maybe with semolina, so it's got a slight crunch to it and not every place will do it. So you'll find it at some of the Egyptian restaurants. I know Khan Murjan in Wafi makes their bread that way, but then there's this little bakery that only does this in Abu Hail and I've literally seen a car drive up. The bakers come out with an entire wooden slat just filled with these breads and they put the wooden slat, breads and all, right into the car and the car drove off for a fantastic lunch. Oh. Someone very happy to be opening the car door to wafts of freshly made bread. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to read out some types of bread, and I'm wondering if you're able to give us a bit of a heads up on where we might find them. So, naan bread, I obviously am familiar with, but what about Uzbekistani naan bread? Is that available here? Absolutely. And I think, you know, just you mentioning it is giving me goosebumps because of the, the technique that they use. So the Uzbekis have a particularly incredible way of making it. And honestly, even within Uzbekistan, it's quite different from place to place. The one that we get here most likely is the naan from Samarkand. And it's shaped like a massive bagel, but with the center depressed. So okay. it's not really a hole like a donut. It's just depressed in and the outsides become sort of the edges become really nice and plump and the chambers inside become really nice and doughy. So they're perfect to just tear away and have along with tea or you can pair them with eggs or dip them in a stew, which I think would be fantastic. But the beauty of this bread is that it is made in a very nondescript alley of Dera. Uh, mm-hmm. Upside down on the roof of an oven that would normally maybe be used to make pizza, but this is really being used to make the Uzbeki naan upside down on the roof of the oven. It's absolutely fascinating. 
Oh, that sounds like a feast for the eyes as well as the, the tummy. Now, Sangat, I've had a uh, Iranian, and it's humongous. Mm-hmm. Can you paint us a picture of what Sangak would look like? Sure. So Sangak is about this two-foot-long bread, some mix between being triangular and rectangle. Mm-hmm. And it's got this really uh, interesting golden brown dappled appearance because when the bakers are making it, they're actually piercing the dough with their fingers to avoid the dough rising up too much. Now, the interesting thing with sangak, it's uh, from the word sangak, which means little stones, because this bread is actually made entirely on a bed of washed pebble stones. And they say that it was really something that the army would make. They would just sort of collect stones in their pockets as they would uh, walk along their path from the river. These are really river stones. And uh, they would then lay this out and use it to make to make their bread. So there'd be a source of heat and then the stones and then the dough goes on top. And yeah, as you say, it's got this kind of bumpy appearance. So traditionally, that would be from it being cooked on hot stones. And the bread is like very, very heavily, the dough is very heavily hydrated. So what happens is when the, uh, when the baker is actually putting the paddle into the oven, he's just stretching out this. It's, it's like a masterful exercise. He's just stretching out this dough across the stones and then the bread becomes this interesting sort of slightly wavy dappled appearance and it's so delicious especially with uh, the persian uh, version of the feta cheese some rehan which is holy basil just sort of make a little sandwich maybe some slivers of tomato and walnuts and it's so fantastic and of course with kebabs especially if it's resting under a bed of juicy minced lamb kebab kubide then you're you're set oh you are killing me this afternoon. My tummy's <laughs> rumbling across Dubai. So let us know on 4001 what your native bread is. We're going to be hearing from you to fly the flag for your uh, your local carbohydrate. And what about CAC? I've had um, CAC Almanara. We, we, we know this company's doing really fun stuff. Um, Palestinian CAC is, uh, I mean, I've seen it in all sorts of different places. Where do you think the best one is, though? Well, so CAC uh, just so that the whole community doesn't go up in arms. I think it's uh, defined differently based on where you are. But really, the the one that is seen with the most amount of nostalgia, and my sister Farid actually just wrote an article about this, is uh, the CAC of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem. Kak Al-Quds or Kak Magdesi, uh, because Al-Quds basically refers to Jerusalem. And there are a couple of places that do this in the traditional way. So Dima Sharif is uh, someone who is based in Dubai. She is sort of like our Palestinian mentor. She makes it. So her website, Dima Sharif, uh, uh, has this. But then also there is a bakery tucked away in Sharjah called Al-Kufya, K-O-U-F. Y-A, and uh, they are making the massive elongated rings of kak, which is dusted with sesame seeds. So think of it as this almost uh, like it's a hybrid between uh, crunchy, crackery kind of bread, but on the inside, it still has those sort of threads of doughiness and it's covered in sesame seeds, which give it that really nice nutty flavor. So they're doing these massive elongated rings of gags the way you would see in Jerusalem in Sharjah. That is well worth getting in the car for. And I'm in terms of using it as a sandwich bread, anything that would work well there? Absolutely. Or you could just pair it along with, people say, nabulsi cheese with olives, with olive oil. There is a place called Falafel Al-Zaim, which also does Kaak Magdisi. And they will give you the option of having it along with, wait for it, smoked eggs. So they do these eggs uh, with eggshell and they smoke it in wood chips the way I've seen them do in Jordan. And if you stand there and be a little bit sort of maniacal about it, ask them to pair those smoked eggs along with cream cheese, zaka, lots, like heaps of olive oil. And if you can deal with the heat, some spicy shoppa, which is the red chili paste. Man, that sandwich is like breakfast for champions. Okay. You can't, Ava, honestly, can we do a bread tour soon? We have actually done it in the past, and it's so successful. We do. We've done it as a one-time tour for 
strangely for German bakers who were visiting town. Uh, and Abu Hail is really the place where you get a lot of these different kinds. Of, like I said, the Egyptian bread, uh, even the Ka'at Magdesi, you find it in Abu Hail. It's the, strangely this place where you get a lot of different kinds of bread. Well, let's go back to India. Karolite Parotta. Sure. Tell us a little bit about this. I've been to Kerala numerous times, absolutely love it. But mainly for curries, I didn't have to say I wasn't that focused on the bread. Was I missing out? Parota is one of those things that has become part of, I think it's part of Emirati lingo. It's just so omnipresent in this city. But I will say this, that it, you know, some of the curry, whether like the, the Keralite gravies that you have, anything, frankly, even if you have nothing and you just eat it plain on its own or you roll it up as a sandwich, really nothing works better than a parotta. And the best ones are made fresh and they're super lacy and really flaky. One of the best places I think that does it is called Aramam and they're based in, in Karama. I think they have a couple of branches, but it's called Aramam. Ava, always a pleasure, even if I, my mouth is seriously watering and all I want to do now is scoop up some gravy with a beautiful caralite bread. Thank you. What are your plans for the weekend? Where are you eating? What, where are you going? I literally have to sit down and say, I really don't know. So it's one of those things where I flip a coin right at the last minute and I'll decide because there's no place. I think it's just we step out in the city and it's, it's hard, I think, to find a meal that will not teach you something new. I couldn't agree more. My last question to you, though. We've got a 500 dirham voucher to uh, to spend in spinnies up for grabs. If you were to win it today and you could go into store mm-hmm. and spend 500 dirhams on whatever you want, what would be mm-hmm. in your basket? Definitely their pretzels. Oh, I think you'd <laughs> get quite a few pretzels. for 500 dirhams. Ava, for anyone who's interested <laughs> in checking out everything you're doing at Frying Pan Adventures, what's the best way of getting in touch and what have you got coming up? Sure, the best way is through our website, fryingpanadventures.com, and we are super responsive on most social media, especially Instagram, which is at Frying Pan Adventures. We are super excited because we are back on the field. We are running all of our experiences as public food tours, usually uh, from groups of six to eight, our Middle Eastern food tour, Dubai food tour, and on request, even our Little India food tour. So we'd love to serve you. Amazing. And with more visitors coming in, I'd love and urge everyone listening to uh, to take their guests on these incredible food tours, support some of these amazing restaurateurs, eateries, and discover something new. Your tummy will thank you for it. Ava, thank you so, so much for your time. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you. You too. It's always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. And I've been loving all of your bread chat as well. Lovely to hear about uh, where you grew up on the carb front as well. Uh, thank you, Alia, saying Chubbs Rigag, I hope I'm saying that right, is one of the most famous local breads. Iranian shops make it roadside, wafer thin, top it with eggs, cheese, uh, or mah- mahua? Mahua? And anchovy sauce. Locals love to top it with chips from Oman and chili sauce. Five dirhams, best supper on the go, been eat- eating it 38 years. Um, what about this? Uh, Icelandic bread cooked underground through thermal steam. Sounds amazing. And Patrick got in touch on 04871 to talk about the food that gives away his hometown and his native bread. Montreal-style smoked meat is um, different from the New York pastrami. It's something very special. Um, the way they cure it, the way it, the, the brisket is cut and all that. I think probably the closest here would be Matsar Farms making a, a, you know something similar. Uh, and that's what, that's what um, the we serve in my hometown, Montreal, and then otherwise, the bagels are really good, the Montreal-style bagels. They, they sort of marinate them in honey and something overnight, and people queue up for hours uh, to go to this one bakery called Saint-Yata um, and, and to buy their bagel fix. So, yeah, that's where I come from. That's where I was born, Montreal. Thanks, Patrick. And now I'm hungry. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. And who says that hiking has to be an uphill struggle? It's been a really popular pastime for years, especially amongst maybe the older generations, but the sport is experiencing a massive boom right now. More and more people escaping here in the UAE to the mountains, to the dunes, a trend that's probably been fueled in part to the pandemic and some travel restrictions. But it's a great sport, it's a great getaway, it's healthy. We're talking about how to do it this afternoon. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Laura Brown from Hike UAE joining us on Microsoft Teams. Laura, thank you so, so much. And we'll have a little cheer that, yes, hiking season is back. 
Now, I've been keeping yes. an eye on your Instagram. You've been pretty much hiking through most of the summer, though, haven't you? <laughs> um, bits and bobs. I mean, it's been very hot right up until today. I feel like winter or autumn, at least, has finally arrived and I'm ready to kind of get back out there this weekend. So I was out at Schalke of the weekend and was completely wowed by just how busy it was. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of people trekking, hitting, the, and some, I've got to be honest, not perhaps wearing the most appropriate of clothing and footwear. Shout out to the lady right. in the denim shorts and Converse. Um, oh, no. So for anyone that is thinking about taking to the hills, the, the trails, can you explain, Laura, just some of the basics? And it doesn't mean going out and spending all your hard-earned dirhams in, you know, Adventure HQ and Decathlon, although the amount of money I've spent there recently, someone's kids are going <laughs> to a very good college. Um, but some of the basics that just to make sure you're safe when you go out on your hikes. Yeah, definitely. I think um, first and foremost, obviously, the most important thing you can do before you head out hiking is just to be really prepared. Um, and that basically means just have your right clothing so don't wear any flip-flops any jeans have clothes that are appropriate to to be active basically outside because it's still pretty hot you're going to be sweating um obviously make sure that you have water i think you know the most important thing about hiking in the uae is having um water and electrolytes because it is so hot um and always take more than you think you'll need because you know you never know what might happen so i always take minimum of three liters and i put electrolytes in and that makes a massive difference um, also take snacks and try not to eat them all um, at the start of the hike. Try and keep some for uh, throughout the hike. Aww. And then if you have any spare at the end, that's great. Laura, um, this, obviously... this is what's worrying me about Kilimanjaro because I went um, and bought all my snacks this morning and I've now got... <laughs> have I've you eaten them all? No, I did. I did have a lemon sherbet, but I've now got a, I've now got a Spinney's bag full of food that I'm going to have to hide from me and the kids because I've got eight <laughs> days until I go. But yeah, absolutely. If you and have something yummy, you know, fuel yourself with Jaffa cakes or whatever that kind of gets you gets you gets you through. So water, SBF. Um, a message here saying hat SBF. Lots of water, compass, and the knowledge how to use it. Let someone know where you're yeah. going. Expect the time you're going to be back. And I love this pre-charged phone and GPS. Um, <laughs> That's a big one, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's so important. You know, make sure you've got some really sturdy boots because I'm guessing, Laura, depending on the kind of terrain you're going to be on, footwear. You know, you you can kind of take your pick, but it just needs to be suitable, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, definitely do your research before you head out on, on the hike that you're doing. So, for example, if you're on a rocky terrain, it's really important that you have like supportive shoes that support your ankle. Because the last thing you want when you're up a mountain is to, to kind of roll your ankle and not be able to get down. Um, if you're on a flat terrain, so if you're just walking at Schalke, it's it's kind of a slightly safer to wear normal kind of active trainers. Otherwise, hiking boots are obviously great as well. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. The weather is... Touchwood getting a little bit cooler, which means hiking season is back. To guide us through the do's, the don'ts, the where's and the how's is Laura Brown of Hike UAE. Get in touch if you've got any questions, either on Facebook in the comments or on 4001. You've got some updates for us, Laura. Uh, somewhere's closing. What do we need to know? Yeah, so unfortunately, one of uh, the best hiking locations, which is closest to Dubai, is unfortunately closing to the public uh, later this year, and it's Fossil Rock. No! Um, yeah, I know, because it's one of the closest, right? So everyone living in Dubai loves heading there. Um, so, But not to worry, there's loads of new trails opening this year. So I can't give too much away now, but head over to Hike UAE, and um, I'll be posting more information later in the year. Um, but we also have some amazing events happening this year. So the first of its kind coming to the region is um, the Highlander Adventure. So it's going to be happening in Ras al-Khaimah in November this year. It's a long distance hiking event, which is going to be amazing. So um, check out Highlander UAE on Instagram as well for more information. When you say long distance hiking, <laughs> <laughs> how long? How difficult? You've got it covered, Helen. You're doing Kilimanjaro, mm. so it's going to be nothing. No, how, <laughs> how many kilometres is it? Who's it aimed at? Okay, so it's 55 kilometres, um, okay. so it's spread over three days, and it's, it's really aimed at anyone that, that loves hiking. You don't need to be super experienced. Um, so the hike is actually going to be, um, in Ras al-Khaimah, they're creating new trails, but part of the trail is actually covering Stairway to Heaven, which is a really famous hike in the UAE that's renowned for being quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever considered doing Stairway to Heaven, but you want to do it in a safe environment, that's now me. is your chance to sign up to Highlander. 
Yeah, I remember when I used to work for Explorer, um, we did the off-road book. That was part of my part of my job. And I always remember looking at the, the hiking and trekking section going, that looks amazing, but... Yeah. absolutely terrifying so if you if you get the chance and it's safe to do so have a little google image search of stairway to heaven because it's these kind of super narrow ledges that you have to press yourself up against the rock to to kind of navigate so that's really that's actually really good to know that you'll be able to do it somewhat supervised i'm um, speaking of which a message here saying how much practice do i need hiking with a professional before i'm able to go hiking alone safely my instinct here is don't go hiking alone <laughs> please <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good question. And I I completely appreciate that some people want to go hiking alone for whatever reason. Um, What I would say is in the UAE, there are a number of marked trails. And if you go during a a kind of popular time that there will be other hikers about, I would say as long as you're following a marked trail, it's okay to go hiking alone. So, for example, you could head um, to um, Shalka, you could head to Hatta. Jebel J has some marked trails, but what I wouldn't recommend at all is heading to an unmarked um, trail on your own because that's just definitely not very safe. Okay, I hope that helps. And a message here saying, um, do I have to use a compass or could I use an app? Um, we use Wikiloc. What do you use, Hannah, um, Louise, when it comes, Laura, sorry, when it comes to, um, <laughs> it's Thursday afternoon, when it comes to uh, pl- plotting your routes or following someone else's footsteps when it comes to the tech side? Yeah, sure. So what I um, always recommend is doing research online before you try any route. Um, And what you can do is, first and foremost, you can check HikeUAE for information about various locations. And then you can use Wikiloc, um, which actually enables you to download a route onto your phone and then you can follow it using GPS. What I would say is, though, with using Wikiloc, you've got to be careful that um, the route that you're choosing um, itself doesn't have any kind of issues. Maybe the person that recorded it went slightly wrong. So Mm -hmm. just be mindful that you still do um, your own research and also make sure you download the route from Wikiloc before um, you're on the hike, because if you lose signal or data, you won't be able to follow it. It sounds like you're speaking from experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And a follow-up question here saying, what should be in my first aid bag? Good question. We found ourselves at uh, the top of those awful stairs at Schalke Dam the other day and I was thinking, I think I might be getting a blister and realised I hadn't packed anything in the first aid kit at all. What would you recommend putting in your pack? Yeah, so well, what I always tend to try and do, if it fits, is, is actually just take a full first aid kit. You can get a pretty small one from the pharmacy, just leave it in the bag just in case. But I would say um, at least have blister plasters or just general plasters in the bag. Um, it never hurts just to throw some in. But if you do have space, just take a small first aid kit. Let's hope you never have to use it. But as we were yeah. saying with Caroline Leon yesterday, better to please the mountain gods by over-preparing and never having to put your hand in that first aid kit. Laura, thank exactly. you so much for your insights this afternoon. Where are you heading this weekend? I'm actually going to head to Fossil Rock this weekend now that it's uh, potentially closing soon. Oh, I'm gutted about it. I really am. Is there a date and do we know why? There's not a specific date and I don't know exactly why, but I suspect um, because it's kind of a protected area, it's an Mm. archaeological site um, and it's a very delicate area. So I suspect they're trying to kind of preserve it. Um, But don't worry, there's there's plenty more kind of trails happening this year. Um, Are you heading anywhere before your your big trek coming Um, up? My plan for the next week is don't get sick, don't get injured. So I am going to be doing a hike in Ski Dubai tomorrow morning at half past seven with Girl for Good, fully supervised. Just a chance to load up my pack. Uh, put yeah. my put my boots on again and uh, just kind of get in, get into that up and down, get the walking poles out. So no, I'm not heading to the wilds because I'm moving house this weekend <laughs> and I'm conscious that that could be a workout in itself. But can I just say for anyone who is yet to get out there, you will just have the most incredible experience and there's nothing better than a post-hike nap. Enjoy every <laughs> second. Uh, Laura Brown from Hike UAE has said you are there on Instagram with loads of great announcements, brilliant advice. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. The weekend is upon us and while the temperature might be a little bit toasty, heading out into the desert or the mountains trust me when it's time it is time and you need to pack up your car and get camping there are many guidelines about doing this properly doing it safely and and getting the most out of it which is why we brought Fahid with us he's the founder of father and kids camping a group that does exactly that takes dads and kids out and about both here in the UAE and now I'm guessing that the Oman border is opened Fahid you've got plans to uh, to go international 
absolutely. We're big fans of M1, and that's definitely something that we'll be looking to. Um, we have actually our first camping trip scheduled to, uh, for tomorrow. Oh, and we're, gonna, we're going up into the Hajar Mountains near Fujairah. That is brilliant. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ask you for all of your kind of secret pins and things, but do you have maybe two or three places that you think are really accessible and perhaps even, well, easy for first-time campers here in the UAE? Yeah, I would probably, you know, say recommend two areas for warmer months, such as September, October, and then May, June, up in the mountains. Of course, you have uh, Oman, which is fantastic. But even within the UAE, there, um, where we're going this weekend is an area called Wadi Qab, G-H-U-B. There are pockets of camping areas for smaller groups of maybe five, five to ten cars in that area. And if closer to home, there's, of course, um, Hata area, the Hata Mountains, mm-hmm. where there are also some fantastic opportunities to go camping, do some hiking, all of us in an hour, an hour and a half of Dubai. Can I ask you what it is that you and the kids get out of, you know, not sleeping in your beds, perhaps eating food that, uh, you know, you've had to put mega preparation into getting sand or stones everywhere. What is it about camping that you guys just love? It boils down to two words, and that is the great outdoors. And then the, the ability to be in an environment where there are no walls, there are no barriers. Often there's no Wi-Fi. And if you just switch off and entirely and just enjoy the nature, smell the fresh air, you know, soak up the beautiful weather and just have a good time, do some good exercise and eat super well. The food is a highlight for me when I go camping, I have to say. But we spoke before, and I think an awful lot of people, certainly over the course of the last couple of years, when travel has been more challenging, have really fallen in love with the UAE or rediscovered um, parts of it that perhaps they had long neglected. And maybe it was because they came as you know youngsters, did camping, had all that fun. Now they've got kids, much like me, and they go, actually, camping with kids is, has its challenges, of course, but... I'm exactly the same as you. Unplug, great outdoors, you know, fill your lungs with fresh air, have a really good night's sleep. Um, and I think doing it safely is the key because it is a bit of an intimidating prospect to do it for the first time. You know, in terms of car you need, the gear you need, how to make sure that you've got everything required because there's no spinnies, uh, you know, uh, in, in some of these locations. Um, you've kind of talked in the past about there being three degrees of difficulty when it comes to the meals that you can prepare on a camping trip. Could you talk, th- talk us through them? And obviously, let's start with easy. Let's go low maintenance to begin with. For sure, for the for the novice camper who just wants to go and wants to have a risk-free meal, there's some fantastic, op- you know, and simple options such as burgers, hot dogs, kebabs, where you could just pick it up at the grocery store and just barbecue them, and no one will complain, mm-hmm. and you'll be sure to at least satisfy your your crunch for for a meal. That is that is the basic easiest route to getting yourself fed. So crowd pleasers, as you say, head spinnies, pick up everything you need. And it could be, yeah, burgers, sausages. They've got this new range of kebabs as well. So it might be like a, also all sorts of different spices and rubs and things as well. Um, what about the moderate level? This is probably where I'm, I'm at. Because yeah. difficulty scares me. Moderate, yeah. let's go. Once you've done a few camping and you've kind of ticked the box in terms of the kebabs and the burgers, you want to have something a little bit more, you know, creative and, and exotic which is also more delicious. There you enter the moderate phase. And the moderate really includes things such as um, making a tagine, which is what we're going to have from one of the meal teams this weekend. Moroccan tagine on a barbecue. Phenomenal. It's going to be amazing. Or you could do paella, mm. a Spanish paella, which again, for, for lunch with some beverages in the afternoon, is a fantastic way to enjoy a nice afternoon. Or where we've got a pro Gups, who makes fantastic curries, every different type of curry you can imagine. Imagine a delicious, satisfying curry at night before bed. Nothing better than that. Even you can invest in in an uni propane-fed oven and make fresh Italian pizzas up this mountain. No. What about power? How on earth? How? Tell me more. It's very similar. So these are essentially these little blue 
uh, gas canisters that you kind of plug into the oven, mm-hmm. and it will make you the phenomenal, most phenomenal pizza you've ever tasted, Helen. Just look it up. It's double O N I. Uh, we have this in our group, and it makes fresh paste. So the kids get involved. They make the dough, fresh dough, and you have all the ingredients. You have the tomato. You've got the pepperoni. You've got even the pineapple. The kids uh, make even the pizza. pineapple. <laughs> oh, divisive, yeah. Vahid, divisive. Yeah. You know, you know uh, we're no, not here to judge. I uh, No, absolutely not. And, and please, Italians, switch off now. I do enjoy a bit of pineapple on pizza from time to time. So it's called an uni. I love this. Moderate is where my happy place is because with kids, I get a bit of the a bit of the fear about cooking things properly. So if you're able to prepare a tagine or curry in advance, heat it up over a fire, and then scooping up with lovely bread, um, yeah. love love the sound of that. Um, oh, speaking of scooping, um, they've uh, Spinis has just introduced some barbecue friendly dips. So guacamole, salsa, spicy guac as well, and some hummus packs too. So. I love a little pre-dinner snackette, so a little a little crisp dips, pitta. This is my happy place. Um, tell us then about difficult, because yeah, I mean, are we talking full gourmet in the dunes? Well, definitely. This is more of a an involved process where you're going to have to commit four to five hours of prep work to make a meal. And this really, we do this on our Christmas special, which, which is essentially a meshwi, which is essentially a full goat that is then brought to and seasoned on on site and slow cooked you know basically on a rotational basis for four to five hours over charcoal and it's a great conversation piece great way to kind of see your cook your food come to life and the, the, the meat is so tender it almost falls off the bones after about five hours of cooking that, I mean, well, that is, is something, that's a, a special occasion. That's a special occasion, but certainly something to aspire to because it's a really cool experience to, to you know, prepare an entire goat from scratch and then see it cook for five hours and then taste what you've, produ- what you've worked on for five hours. I was thinking of you the other day, actually, because there's an Instagram account I follow called Men With The Pot. Are you familiar with this account? Yes, yes. <gasps> Oh, if anyone is into their food and into the great outdoors and wants some inspiration, this is, I mean, they've got nearly a million followers, so there's, there's plenty of us out there. Men with a pot. I'm not even sure what country they're from. I'm not sure. There's not much speaking, but it is these guys who make the most incredible meals over, well, in pots, over, over flames. So, I mean, I'm having a quick look now. Cheeseburger sliders they've made recently, um, chocolate crepes, uh, salsa chicken bake, but also just, I, think, I mean, you talked about pizza before, but oh, it's making bread um, just incredible. And of course, yeah. lots, of, lots of foraging, which we, uh, I would discourage against just to be on the safe side. But spaghetti, uh, shredded chicken, it yeah. just goes to show it doesn't always yeah. have to be your burgers and, and your hot dogs. There is a whole yeah. world yeah. of food to explore and enjoy. And, yeah. Spaghetti is actually another very famous one. We've got our Italian chef, Chris, who makes his homemade uh, spaghetti sauce with meatballs. With this garlic bread as well, just a phenomenal meal for children at dinner over barbecue. It's a, it's a, it's a, that way I would put that in the moderate. Oh, so. that way they go in the, in the moderate category. Okay, and honestly, I think the main reason my kids like camping is s'mores. It is, mummy, where are the marshmallows? Mummy, what time can we have the marshmallows? Oh. It, yeah. it, no camping trip, to my mind, is complete without a marshmallow on a stick. Um, are you a s'mores man or do you do something different? I think, look, it's like economy versus business class. You start with a marshmallow. You, by the time you're in business class, you're doing s'mores because <laughs> it's just elevating the marshmallow experience by adding, you know, biscuit and chocolate. I mean, you can't go wrong. Oh. You can't go wrong. Oh, I'm Honestly, I am so, so looking forward to this camping season. I can't wait. I think Kilimanjaro is going to be extreme. Um, but when I come back, I can't wait to pack up the kids and head for the hills i think it's going to be a, a really lovely one ahead and uh, you can be followed of course on instagram where you share some more tips as well and your experiences the work you're doing with charity as well it's fathering kids camping but thank you so much for your time today you've made us thoroughly hungry and definitely got us excited about uh, eating in the great outdoors have a good one enjoy this weekend let us know how the first camp of the season goes absolutely thank you very much Helen. have a great day you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai I 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.